I was trying to see if it looked like I was frozen. Good evening. Do I find bourbon sweet? I'm not sure that I do. Yeah, we're destined for stardom. All right, three, two, one. Welcome to episode 14 of Max and Jason Watch a Movie. I'm Jason. And I'm Max. Today, we'll be covering 2014's John Wick, directed by Chad Stahelski and David Lech, uncredited, written by Derek Colstead, starring Keanu Reeves as John Wick, Michael Nyquist as Vigo Tarasov, Alfie Allen as Yosef Tarasov, Willem Dafoe as Marcus, Adrian Palicki as Miss Perkins, Bridget Monaghan as Helen, and guest stars John Leguizamo as Aurelio and Ian McShane, the immortal Ian Bain as Winston of the Continental Hotel. That probably covers everything that we need to know. On the production side of things, this is kind of a fascinating movie. It's almost, I think, as, as fascinating as the movie itself. Keanu Reeves has been watching the, the, the guys who directed this for years. Um, they, that's the, the Helsky and the David Lech are, are kind of the head of a stunt team. They've been cutting film and, you know, advertising their skills as stunt coordinators with film for a long time. And so this is their first major, major work where they're directors. I think, if, if I've read correctly, Keanu Reeves found this script by Col- uh, David Col- Derek Colston and he really liked it and he wanted these guys to direct it. But prior to actual filming, Keanu Reeves spent like months, almost almost a year, I think, just becoming John Wick. Like training in jiu-jitsu and judo for six hours a day, you know, five days a week. I don't know if you've seen this, but I've watched a lot of this. Keanu Reeves at the range. Have you seen any of these videos of Keanu Reeves no. like doing like combat shooting? No. Oh no, he's, one of the things I've always liked about Keanu Reeves is that he loses his mind sometimes in role prep. Yeah. Not, in, not in accent prep. He's never, he's never done accent prep very well, but, but <laughs> In in terms of getting ready for a role and understanding what kind of character he's supposed to be, he really does doesn't really he doesn't spare himself at all the effort of becoming the character he wants to play. So he became pretty good at jujitsu and his like combat shooting, to my eyes, is pretty excellent. He does ninety percent of the stunts in this movie, which is saying something because there are a lot of amazing stunts filmed. Yes, but, go ahead. You, you've done some pr- production research as well. It looks like uh, I mean I, I am aware that uh, Derek Gols- uh, Kolstad uh, wrote the original screenplay and he based it on uh, several other films, uh, including the Spaghetti Westerns, but actually a film that I've seen, Point Blank, yes. uh, which was John Borman's first film. I actually watched that years and years and years ago, it, it, I, which is quite good. I would recommend it to anybody, but it, it actually has Lee Marvin in the kind of the kind of John Wickish role. And uh, so the screenplay was kind of, well, there's no doubt the screenplay is very much a part of a, almost like a, a, a sub-genre film, yeah. you know, kind of re, kind of revenge film. We, this film is, I'm, I'm, I've been struggling with how we're going to talk about this film all you know all weekend actually because this is a really simple story it is a revenge film right yes, um, yes. we've all seen this we've all seen the arc of the story right right uh, person is wronged film is about them exacting a devastating revenge on their enemies it's okay I don't mind seeing the same film again if it's been done I well. agree yep. but you're also right that it is kind of part of that literary tradition of the anti-heroes like, like Parker yes. from Point Blank which is uh, based on a kind of a based on a book called Parker uh, by Richard Stark so yeah go on sorry well have you seen Point Blank I have seen a long time ago. I, I bought it from my dad a few years ago because I love the novel, Parker. And, yeah. and I knew Lee Marvin had a blast making the film, Point Blank. And I gave it to my dad. And then a year later, I went to visit dad in Indiana. And he said, here, you've got to watch this. He gave it back to me. <laughs> so <laughs> I haven't had a chance to sit down and watch it yet. But I know the, the thrust of that is Lee Marvin's character is wronged and he wants to be paid what he's what he's due. And that's he just wants what he's what he's due. And- um, it, it was remade many, many, many years later as Payback mm-hmm. with Mel Gibson, which I have not seen. I've seen it. And it's, uh, it's much weaker than the Point Blank and Parker. Okay. Um, okay. Because Mel Gibson didn't want to make a character I don't think that was hard to be sympathetic to, so he's a little more sympathetic in Payback. Lee Marvin is a terrible person in, in Point Blank, and yes. Parker is a, is, is a terrible person in the novels as well. Very good at what he does, but... 
what he does isn't very nice. Some of you will get that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so the setup for John Wick, we want to talk any more about the production? I mean, there's not um, much to say other than, than what we, I think what we've said, unless you've, you've seen something else. No, no, I have, because actually the main thrust of what I, what I found was exactly what you just said. Uh, these guys were very, I don't know if you said this, but Keanu Reeves brought them in. And so they were not intended for this movie. And then it was Keanu Reeves when he was cast and he was not necessarily the original idea, you know, for the, for the role. And he brought them in and, and I believe there was rewrites that occurred then. Okay. Uh, I mean, I mean, even when, uh, uh, well, because I believe the original script called for the character of John Wick be a little bit older. Okay. Um, and so actually, and when I read that, I actually thought that maybe the original vision, uh, the original vision uh, would have been like a Lee Marvin yeah. kind of character. Or I also kind of thought Clint Eastwood, uh, maybe an Unforgiven, you know, kind of this this guy who's lived his life um, in a certain way. Uh, he's, he's been a hitman. He's made a lot of money. He's the best there is at what he does yeah, is not very nice as he said and, and and then and then he kind of found redemption in a relationship and then suddenly he's thrust back it, it's absolutely a story we've seen before. and as you said there's no problem with pulling a story again like that but it sounds like that when Keanu Reeves became became attached to it the character became younger um you know uh, I think the emphasis became that he was just the best at what he does as opposed to just being an older guy and very experienced in what he does, yeah. would be my guess. Yeah, I, I don't know about the earlier treatments, but you're right. When when he comes in, I mean, Keanu's just a little older than us. I mean, so he's he's brought the character down, not quite somebody who would have retired. You know, right. um, the beginning of the film, we kind of see where he's at now. We don't quite know how he got there, but you know, we've seen this before too. The montage where we see him happy. He's with his wife, Helen, uh, played by Bridget Monaghan. She doesn't have a big role, but she does kind of play a major part in his life. He's happy, see that happiness, and then like in Jersey Girl, she dies you know, pretty suddenly, and he's kind of devastated. But we still don't know much about him, right. and uh, we know something's up with him, but we meet a couple, we, we meet one of the major players in the film at the funeral. We meet Willem Dafoe's Marcus character, and he comes up to John at the funeral and uh, offers his condolences, and John's suspicious of him. Like, well, well, what are you doing here? What's what, Why are you here? He's like, well, I just want to offer my condolences. And, uh, and, and check in on an old friend. Check in on an old friend. And and that seems sincere. Willem Dafoe is one of my favorite actors. He plays this he plays this very well because because um we only get kind of hints at the scene that you're talking about that he really, really likes John. Yeah. And there's a certain amount of loyalty and respect to him. And you know, um, it's gonna play out in the film how that loyalty kind of manifests itself. Absolutely. And then Keanu Reeves, uh we see him go back home. He's wherever he's at, he's he's got a nice life because there are a lot of people at the funeral. They're all, I'm going to assume, with the exception of Marcus, they're all her friends. Thought, I thought that too, because they also, they then cut to him. Uh, there's obviously an after gathering, yeah. after the funeral, and it's at their their house. And he's looking out the window and everybody else is kind of congregated someplace else and they're all interacting with each other. He's not interacting with them. They, they clearly care about him because at the funeral, uh, there's a woman who puts her hand on his shoulder and, you know, it's a very touching scene, even though we're kind of, we're even farther removed than we often are in the 90s because we're just, right. you've used this phrase before, we're seeing the, the end of a story that, that has already happened. We're kind of building the relationships of that story in our mind. And then he's all alone. His doorbell rings and he goes to it. His wife has left him a little something to help him get through the next few months. That right? she had, yeah. That and she and has. it's a very sweet thing. It's very clever on her part. Uh, it, um, okay, in a film full of 
beautiful, unrealistic action. The but by far the most unrealistic part of the film, speaking as a beagle owner, yeah. is how easily he is able to take this beagle puppy and get this puppy to comply to his every whim. Jason almost caused me to spit out my bourbon. That was that dog is the best dog on the planet. The dog is housebroken from the jump. Yes. It's a cute dog. It's a cute dog. Um, and, 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 and the dog doesn't eat any of his books or any, any of the other things that I know that beagles do when they're puppies. So John is trying to find a place for this dog in his life, and Keanu Reeves plays this stuff very well, and um, he takes the dog on a ride in his, in his other point of, his other emotional anchor in the film, which is his 69 Mustang. Jason, you, sorry, he knows everything <laughs> that you know about the Mustang and everything you don't want to know about the Mustang, but I'll let Jason kind of like uh, effervesce about this car. It is, it is a beautiful vehicle. They mistakenly say that it's a 1970 boss and he says, no, it's a 69. I think I read online that it's actually a 68. So, uh, so, so neither of them were correct. However, one of the things about this Mustang that struck me was how much it looks like Steve McQueen's Mustang and Bullet. Well, I, as you were talking, I was, this is the first time I thought about it, and it's strange that we just hit this at the same time. This would have been a Steven, Steve McQueen movie. Oh, yeah. Absolutely, yeah. But anyway, yeah, it's a, it, it is a beautiful car. I mean, I, I like the Mustang, too. Jason has probably owned a fleet of Mustangs. Um, <laughs> gas mileage be damned but he takes the he takes the dog to he and the dog are buddies i mean this is uh this is another thing it's it's, a, it's this film is full of tropes but they never feel like tropes this is mel gibson and his blue healer in mad max i mean he's gonna this dog is gonna become a part of his life um yes well he would like it to be spoilers but he's at the gas station filling it up as you do with a mustang every five miles <laughs> true statement and this is where trouble uh begins somebody sees the car and they they like it a lot and uh, there's this guy uh, who likes it he, he pulls up next to john and in, in at the filling station and there's a lot of russian speaking happening in the film and in the scene and the guy comes up to john wick as he's gassing up and he says uh hey nice car john wick is not friendly no what would you say about this scene i think perhaps he he might be a little suspicious he might be wary old habits might be kind of clicking back into place uh especially because uh these these men are russian i believe yeah, russian yeah they're speaking russian to him and he speaks russian right back but i mean he's pretty used to being confident in these situations he's not intimidated no no he's yeah. not intimidated at all and uh and, and anyway the, the the guy uh he's like oh i love the car uh how much for it and he's like well it's not for sale and he's polite but he's not he's not like rural guy who's just going to start gone with you. He's, he, he's, he tells him what the make and model and the year is and just expects to leave it there. And then and then, and then then he says it's not for sale. And then when he pushes, that's when he pushes back. Yeah, because the guy comes up and he's like, oh, I love dogs. And he gives the dog a little bit of a mean twist because the dog kind of responds to that. And Reeves lets it, I mean, sorry, uh, Wick, John Wick lets it go. And then the guy says in Russian, everything's got a price, bitch. And then and John Wick says, not, the, not this bitch. In Russian, back to the guy. In Russian, yeah. Which should have clued in the the antagonist here. Yosef. You know, maybe there's more to this guy than than I think. Absolutely. The Yosef. This is the. This will be the, become the target of John Wick ire as the film progresses. His his right hand man just comes in and is like, "Hey, sorry, have a nice day." And you get the sense in that scene that this right hand man has to do a lot of moving Yosef yeah. out of trouble. And then John Wick goes and and has a little emotional outburst. Um, we're we're seeing the dog in these scenes, basically keeping him from being self destructive. Yes. Um, because I got the sense. So John Wick. 
goes to an airfield and he starts uh, doing donuts and crazy stuff that Jason was probably horrified to see in this Mustang. Um, Well, I I did read in the production notes that um, they had to be very careful with the Mustang. Oh, did they? Yes, they did. Yeah, I'm I'm not surprised. Whose was it, do you know? No, I don't, but but, but they were told that they, you know, that it couldn't be involved in any long chases or anything like that. Nothing like out of bullets. So I I, I think the scene that you're about to to was pretty well edited. Well, it might be, but I do know that um, none of the stunt crew had any problem with Keanu Reeves doing any of the serious car work. There's there's a scene where he has to do like a like a, a 50 mile an hour power slide up to a to a camera mark. Uh, late in the film, he does this, and uh, if he messes up, the car has a has a has a great chance of going over a 50 foot drop, right? The, right. Know, if, he, if he misses his mark, but none of the stuntmen had any problem with Keanu Reeves doing it because Keanu Reeves is a psychopath, much like his character. Yeah. And 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 he really dedicated a lot of uh, time to mastering these deals. But anyway, he's driving around this old airfield, and I think I got the sense that he was thinking about just smashing the car into these giant trucks that were sitting on the airfield. Yeah. Just ending it. Yeah. Um, I, but you know, I, it's interesting. I didn't get that the first time I watched it. The first time I watched it, I was like, eh, is he in some kind of training? I don't know what he's doing. The second and third time, I got the impression that you got. But I do think that um, for a first-time viewer, that scene might be, okay, like, what is he doing? Like, there's kind of this assumption, oh, is he going to work? Yeah. You know, I mean, you know, you know, what does this guy do for a living? Because at this point in the film, for a first-time viewer, you don't know no. what his career is. You have no clue, clue whatsoever. You and so it's kind of just tearing up rubber on his tires. That's his career. Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, uh, quite frankly, when I first, when I saw it for the first time, which I did a couple weeks ago, I thought, oh, okay, is he security at some kind of airfield? Yeah. Was what I was what I initially thought. Okay. Um, but no, I I agree with what you just said. That he, 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 I think we're supposed to get this kind of impression that he has kind of this death wish yeah. at this point. That he's really, really, really struggling. Yeah. Um, after the death of his wife and his wife knew that and that's why and that's why she got him the puppy because she knew they had uh in her letter she says that you know she kind of gives the impression that this it was a long illness it was something that kind of dragged on for a long time mm-hmm. it, it took a great toll on both of them and she knew she had to leave him with something yeah, yeah. you know something to you know some kind of um token if you will that would allow him to kind of move forward with his life absolutely and and, and he's and the scene that you're referring to uh, where he's he's doing these horrible things with the tires of his beautiful car. Uh- is evidence that he's he's not doing well yet. He, you know, he's still struggling. Yeah. Um, but it is it is hanging out with the dog. Um, that that I mean that seems to be part of the anchor. And he leaves and he goes back home. And and we see we think maybe he's starting to turn a corner. Um, because he lets the he says to the dog, go ahead and come up and jump in the bed because he set the dog on the floor. And yeah. The dog is very like Jason said, it's unnaturally good at <laughs> commands. Anyway, he says, come on up and hang out with me. And and the dog's gonna sleep in the bed with him, which a puppy would have already done in real life that the dog was in the bed the moment it went into the room in the so that's a, that's a big moment for john i think yeah and yeah. uh it's the last happy moment he has in the movie this is true this um, is true and uh in the middle of the night the dog is awakened by intruders as jason will tell you though th- this would have been over anything the uh, the creaking house would have caused the dog to erupt in <laughs> noise and yes but uh, John asks the dog if it has to go outside and, and uh, he goes downstairs and he's accosted by the people who tried to buy his car earlier and he gets knocked out and uh, somebody says, shut the dog up. And you hear a loud yip from the dog. When John, when Keanu, when, when, when John Wick wakes up, the dog has drugged its body. Yes. To, um, look, I don't want to trigger anybody. Dog lovers are going to hate this scene. The dog has dr- dr- drugged its body to be by John Wick, and which is where it dies. And that's the beginning uh, uh, of the 
the turmoil. Well, uh, apply the brake for a moment because you're quite right. Dog, <laughs> um, dog, uh, dog lovers will hate that scene, but that is why it's a great scene because you know, for a film lover, you know, you want a film to 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 grab you and give you a reason to care. And uh, I actually found that film that scene very difficult to watch oh, yeah. um, because even though the little beagle puppy is not on scene for or, or you know, is not in the film for very long, we actually grow rather attached to him oh. and or her Daisy, yeah. I guess. But that moment when the dog is is killed, which it, uh, if, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the, the the lens of the camera is a bit blurred because yeah. we're seeing it from John Wick's perspective. So it's almost like um, you know the death of the dog is is as striking to us as it is to him. Yeah. But to these guys, it's nothing. It's just a it's just a, a fly to be swatted with a fly swatter, yeah. and that makes the scene very difficult to watch, but it also gives us, the viewer, a motivation. It gives us the reason why we understand his motivation. And then you're quite right when he wakes up and the reason we know that the dog had crawled to him. Because at first, at first glance, I wondered, wow, did they did they lay the carcass next to him? Yeah. But then I was like, no, no, there's there's a clear trail of blood, you know, from the dog all the way from where they, it was killed. So it to it it drug itself over to him. Yeah. This scene is this scene is very well done. Absolutely. And and I think it 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 works very well to get the viewer to buy into to John's mission, which which is interesting. Yeah, I, I guess we should talk about this now. His wife no one killed his wife. Nope. The dog is a symbol of the life that he lost. Yeah. And I think that that is a very creative thing for the screenwriter to do, to choose that to be the thing. Not the 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 kind of cliched, you know, where we see his wife die in front of him. Maybe yeah. she bleeds out in front of him and we see him cry and all this kind of thing. That's a really good thing that, that they chose not to do that. And they chose, to, they had the courage to use a different scheme yep. to get us to buy in, but it works. Absolutely. I mean, because it's an interesting idea. Um, it's sort of a, a wholesome idea of the scapegoat, right? Yeah. You, it, it, you would sacrifice a goat where you would heap, you'd say the goat carries all of our sins and we're going to, we're going to send that out and it's going to die or we're going to sacrifice it. And that becomes, yeah. you know, but in this case, Wick is using it as, Wick is really freighting the dog with a lot of baggage. Of course, the, the dog is up for it because it's the cutest dog ever. Right. But, you know, this is his, this is the symbol of, of Helen, you know? Yes. It's, it was her last gift to him. So, I mean, it is a powerful uh, kind of canine totem, right, for, for John yes. Wick. When he wakes up, though, the, the, other th the other thing that makes the scene horrible is he's like, oh, the dog, he's okay, and he pets it, and it's obviously cold. He's horrified when his hand touches the dog because it's, he knows immediately that it's dead. Yes. Cut to the chop shop, and the, the bad guy Yosef and his crew ride in with the beautiful Mustang and they're going to sell it to Aurelio. Um, which no, they say, I, I think I'm going to keep this one. But he, well, that's right, because he wants new VIN numbers. He wants, yeah. he wants new papers. He wants it all taken care of. Aurelio looks at these guys. He's played by John Leguizamo beautifully. He doesn't, this is, yes. he's got basically two scenes and he's perfect in them. But he looks at these guys and you can tell the way Leguizamo carries himself that he hates Yosef. Yeah. He hates his crew. He hates all of them because they're not, I get the sense that Aurelio is like this old school mobster. In fact, just like Vito, Vigo uh, is an old school mobster. Vigo is the father of Yosef. Yes. These guys are professionals. They have, they, they carry, you know, uh, romantic ideas about what they do. Yes. Um, v 
Vigo will later on say, we were civilized. What happened to us? And Aurelio is, you know, part of that tradition. And he, he hates the kids. He hates the kid. And I, I, I kind of like the way like Leguizamo kind of carries himself in, in all of his scenes. Well, he recognizes the car. <laughs> yeah, he does that too. And, and, and he recognizes the level of danger. And, and I think he kind of registers very quickly uh, what he needs to do. A, out of loyalty to his friend. Because yep. we kind of see, he has a certain amount of loyalty to John Wick. But also out of fear. <laughs> he also he also recognizes that these guys are, are way out of their league and do not realize what they have done. Well, no, he, yeah, because he comes up and he's like, oh, where did you get this car? And like, by uh, off some dumb guy or something like that. And uh, and Yosef is kind of bragging about it. Yeah, we took his car and we killed his dog. And Aurelio was like, he, he oh, laughs. <laughs> yeah. You killed his dog. That's, 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 that's great. Um, so, and this is where you can kind of see Aurelio. He does this thing that you won't notice, I don't think, the first time, but he's kind of trying to see how he has to navigate this. If John's dead, then he doesn't have to do much, right? Yeah. So what happened? What did you do to the guy? What's up? What, what did you do with him? You kill him? Oh, no, we just beat him up and left him for dead. And that's when he knows, all right, you fucked up and now you've brought me into this fuck up, right? Yeah. And he does something that I think is pretty ballsy. Yosef thought it was pretty ballsy. He decks the son of the, the major crime family, the head of the major yeah. crime family in New Jersey or New York or wherever it is, that kind of New, New York, New Jersey area and drops him. Yeah. And the henchman pulls a gun on him and he's like, all right, man, you're going to pull a gun on me in my own shop. Well, shoot me or get the fuck out of my shop. This is a great line. Do you know who, my, do you know who I am? Do you know, do you know what you've done? You know, do you know how his father's going to react? And he's like, you don't know who, how his father's going to react. I'll tell you what though, he's going to understand. And he walks yeah. off. Yeah. Well, yeah, because I mean, the way I, the way I read that was, uh, I mean, exactly the way you just said it, but when he says, you know, shoot me or, you know, get the fuck out of my shop. He basically understands, okay, you know, if I cooperate with these guys, I'm a hundred percent dead. So, you know, I, I, because John Wick will kill everybody yeah. who, 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 uh, who stands in his way and, you know, in his quest for vengeance. So what I need to do here, because these guys are basically lightweights to, I mean, I think he kind of knows that they're going to back down, yeah. but he also knows that if he cooperates with them at all, that he's as good, he's as good as dead because, because Wick is going to just sweep the ground of everything in front of him. Absolutely, absolutely right. Yeah, yeah and uh, the, the thing that certainly sets him off too is he's, is he's uh, he tells him to get out. And uh, but one of the things that also kind of indicates to me that Aurelio is not a subordinate in this world is right. Yosef says we own you, and that also creates tension because um, Aurelio is I work with your father. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't, you guys don't own me. And they leave, and uh, simultaneously, while this has happened, we see John Wick get up. He gets his clothes on. He kind of gets himself together. He goes to his other car which they've destroyed. Yosef and his crew of assholes have destroyed his other car. And this is kind of interesting. He takes a bus right to yeah. Aurelio's and he comes in and walks through the shop and uh, Aurelio's sitting there with a kind of high-end tequila, I think. He's got two glasses and, uh, and he just lays he it all out. He pours John's first. Yes. Uh, and then he hands it to him and then he pours his own. So he makes it very clear that, you know, I, the way I read that was, you're not going to like what I have to say, but I'm with you. <laughs> Yeah. Well, absolutely. Because yeah. John sits down and he's like, is my car here? And he says, it was. And then he, and that, that's how we get the story of what happened with Yosef. Well, you punched him and all that stuff because you yeah. get that in flashback. And uh, I think Aurelio says, well, what are you going to do? And John doesn't tell him. I mean, Aurelio doesn't really have to ask this question. Right. And, and he just says, and this kind of goes to what you're saying. Aurelio is washing his hands of it, but he is on John's side and does not want to get in John's crosshairs because John says, I need a car. 
And Aurelio gives him a really nice car. Yeah. Uh, a, I believe a Dodge Charger. Yeah. Which, which, by the way, is what the villains were driving in Bullet oh. in that scene. Okay, so okay. I, I, I don't know if that was done on purpose, but I'm sure that I'm sure that it was. This film has a lot of nods to classic tough guy movies uh, and, and yeah. stories. When he drives into the airport, uh, the old air, air, airstrip, the guy who opens the gate for him is reading a book called Shibumi, which is a novel about an uh, assassin who had retired and has to come back. Ah, uh, okay. So, so the film is just like chock-a-block full of, of this kind of stuff. But then he goes and uh, starts to begin his business. And, uh, and that's when Aurelio gets a call from Vigo, played by uh, Michael Nyquist. Now, right. this guy, this guy uh, is a great actor. I don't know if you saw any of the the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo movies or something. The, the, no. The, 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 the Swedish version, I think. Um, anyway, he was the hero in that film. He's, he's, a, he's generally considered kind of a more highbrow actor, but in this, he's you know he's he's getting in with the action action crowd. He's very good in the film, but he he calls, he, he, he is a fantastic villain. Uh, uh, he he embraced it. Um, yeah, and he call he calls uh, Aurelio and he said, I, "You struck my son." I did. <laughs> And yeah. uh, can you tell me why? Yeah, he stole John Wick's car. He stole John Wick's car and killed his dog. And and his, <laughs> go ahead, go ahead. But I mean, doesn't he? He just says like, oh. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> like, he just says, oh, phone, yeah. And hangs up. And he gets it. He gets it. Gets it. And that's the end of it. He, I mean, he wasn't even really that mad at Aurelio for punching his son. He just wanted to know what was going on. Yeah. Um. But then when he found out, he, he as Aurelio predicted, he understood completely. Oh yeah, and he just hung up. And there was that was that was the end of it. Like Aurelio is now out of it right right and it's kind of cool because michael nyquist uh, his vigo tarasov character is i mean he's he knows everything right then and there you know yeah. and uh the uh his his right hand man who is the uh i can't think of that actor's name but he's in all of the insurance commercials yeah yeah um where, where the where the where he plays uh somebody whose uh identity's been stolen you've seen the guy a lot but he comes right, up right. and he's like oh we just did it we just we these guys agreed to your terms and uh tarasov is just like doesn't say anything for a long time and he just and after a while he just says where's my son yeah and uh, that's what's on his mind yeah yeah and and his son shows up and his son has done something for him it's great and then tarzov go ahead well he gives him a drink yep he, he gives his son a drink and he swallows it down and and then he he gives him this incredible punch that makes him vomit <laughs> yes and he throws him the towel clean that up <laughs> yeah and then and then oh, the great it's a great scene where he he tells him who he actually fucked with and this isn't a nice guy because he says he says this he before he as his son's cleaning up his vomit he's like it's not what you did that bothers me son it's who you did it to that loser that loser was John Wick I don't know why my Russian became an Irish accent for a second but But anyway this is how we get the backstory John Wick is out because he did a task he'd met Helen and he wanted out it's always a woman he wanted out and it's a woman it always is and so I gave him an impossible task because Vigo didn't want John to leave and but what we learn is John did the impossible task the bodies he buried that day are the reason why we are where we are, right? Right. So Vigo is also somebody who feels some loyalty to John. He owes him a lot and he, he would rather avoid all of this. Absolutely. So, so he tries so he punches his son a couple times and his son says, well, I'll, I'll tell you what I'll do, Dad. I'll, I'll finish what I started. And this is a great line. His son's like, no, John's going to come for you and you will do nothing because you can do nothing. Right. That's not tough love. I don't know what that is exactly, but resignation. Well, 
that's true. Vigo does go on that journey of resignation. Yeah, he, he tries to prevent the inevitable. Yep. But he knows that, that his son is dead right yeah. there. Yeah. You get the sense, too, that his son is as, as disappointing to him as he is to Aurelio. Yeah, <laughs> no, absolutely. Absolutely. In fact, I'm, there's a line later in the film that kind of implies that. But, you know, I think, you know, the great line that really lets us, finally introduces us, the viewer, to not only is John Wick a, a, a former hitman, he's the hitman. Yeah. When, you know, he gives the name and he says, what, he's the boogeyman? He's like, yeah. no, he's, you know, he's the man you call when you want to kill the fucking boogeyman. Yeah. And, and, when, and when you hear that, that line kind of says it all. It's like, oh, yeah, he's one of those guys. Absolutely. And sometimes, sometimes you've, we've seen that, that kind of uh, building up the hero. Uh, I'm going to put hero in quotes there. Building up the hero through that kind of talk. We've seen that done before and sometimes it doesn't work. But in this one, I think it really does. A, it's really quite effective when, he, when he, he kind of gives that exposition about where John is and where he comes from and who he is, what he's done. He sends his son away to a safe house, uh, mm-hmm. or a safe place at any rate, as safe as can be. Right. Then he tries to call John. Well, uh, he, he doesn't send him to a safe house initially because the next time we see his son, he's at a, he's at a fucking nightclub. That's right. That's right. Um, so, uh, so he doesn't quite go to that level yet. Yep. But uh, yeah, but he, he, he tries to call John and he, he starts off with condolences and he, he's really trying to talk John down from the ledge. Yeah, yeah. He he's just not able to do it. No, no, because John, he doesn't even get through his whole thing and he just hangs up on, on Vigo. When Vigo was giving him the talk, when he was giving his son the talk, we have this great scene of John smashing into his basement with the sledgehammer to get his old life out of the ground. Yes. That is a, that's a great scene and we kind of see the rage. Uh, through that scene, we see the rage of John Wick because yeah. he's mad. He's lost the dog. He's also mad that he's having to dig up this part of himself. You yeah. Know? I don't know how much you want to read into that. I don't know how much Helen knew, but he wanted to be somebody different for Helen. The film doesn't let us know that. Yeah. You know, I, I, I think each individual viewer needs to decide for themselves whether or not that's good or bad. I personally could have done with a little bit more of subtle exposition in terms of what she felt about it, what she knew. Yeah. We've seen that done before. Um, I would actually suggest to you that um, a good example of that would be Clint Eastwood's film uh, Unforgiven. And for people, you know, those three people that are listening that haven't seen Unforgiven, uh, Clint Eastwood plays a gunfighter who was, I mean, he was not a hitman, but he he, he was a, 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 a dastardly fellow who, who robbed trains and banks and shot women and children and did all these horrible things. But the film takes the time to subtly inform us that his wife probably knew that, but she also changed him because 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 her, her parents knew it. And so uh, that she chose to believe in him and convinced him, convinced him that he had changed. We don't see that in this movie. There's actually, you're quite right. We don't know if Helen even knew what his past was. We don't know if he ever told her. We don't know how much he struggled, if at all. Um, this film does not choose to give us that information. And I would suggest, I mean, it's up to the viewer whether or not the film gives us enough or not. I, I could have used a little bit more, okay. personally. Yeah, well, I, I was I was fine with what they gave us because like you said, like you said we've seen this film a lot. And, yes, we have. And every viewer who sees this film probably has enough bits of story from 
other films to kind of come up with, as you say, their own their own interpretation of. of yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, yeah. Um, Vigo realizes that he's got to he's got to kill John. He's got to at least try. Yeah. And he says, "Okay, well, send your guys over there." Insurance guy is like, uh, uh, "How many?" And he's like, "How many you got?" <laughs> <laughs> and then we get the first major the first major action beat of the scene as these these uh, twelve assassins come to try and kill Keanu Reeves, just John Wick character. This is the scene where the film reveals to the audience that it's going to be a different kind of action movie. I feel like this is a uh, a new approach to action. It's uh it's very technical. Everything that happens in this film is very technical. It's like a kung fu movie, but with judo and jujitsu and guns. But it doesn't it doesn't do what it's not flowering. It's not like a John Woo movie where people are diving through the air in slow motion and it's not poetic. It's harsh. Everything that happens in the film is harsh and crisp and bone crunching. I think uh, it, it, it's it's different than John Woo uh, in the same way that uh, uh, Howard Hawks was different than Sam Peckinpah. Uh, Howard Hawks once said of Sam Peckinpah that uh, he could get three in the morgue by the time Peckinpah got one to the ground. And this movie wastes no time with slow motion action. It, it, it's definitely violence is art. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. I mean, actually, the action scenes in this movie, you're quite right to point out the scene. The action scenes in this movie are among the best, if not the best, that I have ever seen in any film. Yeah. And I like that they happen very quickly. The action scenes are very gripping because of that, because uh, the movements are very precise. They're actually, I mean, if you can use this word when you talk about violence, they're beautiful to watch. Watch. Yeah. The action scenes are, are beautiful to watch, but they're very fast. They're very they're, they're very fast. They're very powerful. They keep the viewer absolutely engaged, like they're on a like they're on a roller coaster. Well, and absolutely. they're not beautiful like a classical kung fu film either. Like the, it's a different kind of beauty. Um, one of the things I was noticing is like the film and the score during the scene are pretty well married. It's like a bump 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 pause bump 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 pause and yes, it's so that that frenetic connect small moments of action and then and then Keanu Reeves will pause and he'll reload his gun in a very technical way. The discipline in all of the scenes, whether it's using hand-to-hand combat or reloading and cycling through his his guns, is it's helped the drama is helped by how effective he is doing that. I mean he doesn't miss a beat. It's 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 just crisp. To me when I was watching this, I remember this was kind of a sleeper of a hit. It kind of built a following after it left the theaters, right? People started renting it and they were like, oh my God, this is kind of crazy. But it is kind of an inflection point, I think, for action cinema. Um, it's going to be hard to go back to wide punches and, yeah. you know, bad choreography or even the flowery choreography of something like The Matrix. Anyway, so it, these hitmen come in and John Wick is two in the chest, two in the head throughout a lot of the film. And yeah. uh, and all the while, there'll be these like close grappling moments where he'll, they used, they used a lot of judo. He, he slams these people into the earth. Judo is, people look at it and they think it's a grappling art, but my judo coach said, it's a striking art. But what you're striking people with is the planet, right? Okay, yeah. And so they do a lot of jujitsu in it too, but the jujitsu is sporadic because it's just not very cinematic. But judo is is like a one-two punch, right? Now, uh, so you described uh, Chad Stileski and David Leitch as, uh, uh, um, as kind of, you know, stunt choreographers, but I believe that they are also involved in martial arts as well. Yeah, um, they're also jujitsu guys and judo guys, and uh, they've all kind of been in the martial arts for a while. A lot of their stunt work is about trying to figure out a way to bring the 
those real world kind of martial arts into the into uh, the cinema and make them exciting. People have tried to bring jujitsu into the movies a lot, and it doesn't always work. But in this movie, it's perfect. Um, I agree. And so, but it, the other thing too that makes it a little different is the interplay between the jujitsu and the guns and the knives that get pl- that, that play out in the film because it's pretty seamless. There'll be like a jujitsu thing happen, a judo thing happen, and then John's back into the guns, right? Yeah. And it just makes for a really exciting film and exciting sequences throughout. But this is the this scene here sets the stage and somehow it continues to top itself as the film moves on. All through the film, absolutely. Anything did anything in this scene strike you? I mean it's all spectacularly violent. <laughs> I just that I wanted to watch it several times because I just felt that every movement was was perfect and and beautiful. At, at this point, though, I actually want to kind of back up a little bit and talk okay. about uh, Chad Stileski and and I, actually I believe I believe his partner like they it was kind of officially or unofficially co-directed yep. because I there's no doubt that the action scenes are are among the best that I've ever seen. But we probably should should give a nod a bit to uh, kind of a first time director because actually. I like a lot of the direction of the film. One of the things that I that I noticed during the several times that I watched it was the use of color. Uh, early in the film, a lot of the scenes, a lot of the early scenes are very cool. They have kind of this blue wash over them. Okay? Yep. And, and then, uh, but then when you notice the scene where the Daisy, the beagle, the, the, the unreal, unrealistically well-behaved beagle puppy arrives to his home, that scene is is much more warmly lit. It's, it's more yellows, okay? Yep. And I, I really feel like this film used lighting very, 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 very well throughout. And that I really feel like that, uh, you know, it's easy to get lost in the in the fight choreography. This is a very well-directed film. Well, I, I think that's absolutely right. And I'm glad you brought that up. And I'll, I'll bring up the some of that in a bit in the nightclub scene. But yes, you're right. The coolness, uh, I mean, it does seem to be like it's morning and then we he's morning as in, you know. Yes. And then it starts to warm up because of the dog, right? Yes. I, so, I, I mean, so we, we have this kind of color-coded chapters in the film and after the dog dies the film becomes noir no you i mean you're right one of the things that helped these guys out a lot too the the directors stahelski and lech uh the other guy who's uncredited the actors were having a lot of fun and they also gave a lot of feedback so i was watching the special features after i watched the film the first time and uh when we see willem defoe's character a little later on after the after the shootout at the at, at, at reeves's house there's a scene where he's like making juice he's juicing a bunch of carrots and stuff like that and that was all defoe's idea okay and and he was like they were like well when, when, when we when we when we come to meet me why don't we have me doing uh, juicing and i'm juicing a bunch of carrots and stuff like that and the directors were like what and uh, and he explained to them well you know i'm an older hitman i, I i'm not I'm, I'm trying to i'm trying to keep in shape i'm trying to keep my edge the directors were like you know this is stuff we didn't think about but you know having a great bunch of actors and listening to them when they would give us these ideas and that, that was happening all throughout the movie and so so they had great ideas and the actors had great ideas and it, it, it seems to have really gelled to create this uh, wonderful little sleeper of a movie. Yeah. Also in this scene uh, with the with the shootout and the killing of all the, the henchmen, we're getting some world building here, right? Right. This is a this is a corrupt alternate this is a more corrupt alternate universe of New York and New Jersey than, than what we really have in, I think, I hope I hope it's alternative. <laughs> right. Um, but, but a cop comes to visit after all this has happened 
then Keanu Reeves walks up to the door and the guy says, oh, hi, John. And uh, they go, hey, Jimmy. Uh, noise complaint? Yeah, yeah. And uh, the guy looks past John and there's this body on the ground and the, the cop is like, so uh, you working again? And then Keanu Reeves is like, I'm just kind of working through some stuff, personal issues. Okay. Yeah. And he leaves. And then Keanu, so, so the cop is corrupt. Yeah. And he leaves the scene. Well, he, well he's either corrupt or uh, he learned long ago not to screw with this guy. Yeah. yeah. And, and and to turn a blind eye to whatever he's doing. That's right. Yeah. And then John, uh, this is a kind of neat scene. Uh, John makes a phone call uh, and he's like, uh, to a, somebody who's like, I need a reservation, a dinner for 12. This really creepy guy comes to John's house with a crew to clean up all the mess. And they do a great job. They put Winston Wolf to shame. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh, yeah. Um, That's a reference to Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction, right. Yeah, no, I mean, that... that... <laughs> That seems kind of a pleasure to watch where they, you know, they have the tape and they wrap everything up. They, oh boy, they, and, and you kind of get the impression that they, they, they uh, dispose of all these bodies in the space of like 15 minutes. Like oh, no, they're great. And, yeah. and the actor who plays that cleaner, he is a guy who you've seen in all kinds of movies. He was, he starred in The Warriors way back in the day. Okay. And, uh, I think he's the guy who accidentally shot Brandon Lee as well. Oh. But uh, he's been in these action movies. He gets killed very memorably in the movie Commando by, Arnold Schwarzenegger. Remember, Sully, when I promised to kill you last? <laughs> that movie, too, by the way. Uh, he's been in a lot of movies, and he's kind of creepy. He's kind of creepy in this. Uh, good to see you back, Mr. Wick. Because I think he's... If Wick is back in business, this guy is going to have a great year. Right. And so uh, so we get the sense that they these guys have these coins that, that this underworld uses. You know, there's these special mm -hmm. gold coins. And, uh, yes. and from there, Wick leaves and goes to the Continental, which is a place that seems to be like a neutral ground. It's where all these criminals go to relax and there's no business that no violence can happen on the continental grounds. That isn't really spelled out, but it's definitely implied from everything that happened. Yeah. Absolutely. He gets a room. He's got a base of operations that's pretty safe to operate out of. Uh, and then he, well, he, he goes into their, their little bar area and uh, meets an old acquaintance. Yeah, played by Ian uh, McShane. The guy, the character Ian McShane plays as Winston. What, and that's the um, the owner of the place? Is what you're talking about? Yeah, he's the owner. Yeah, uh, before that that he actually um, he actually meets Miss Perkins. Yes, Miss Perkins, played by by uh, Adrienne Palicki, who and, and she she knows him. Yep. You know, obviously they've known each other in the past. Uh, she talks to him very briefly, uh, and then he also has an exchange with the bartender, who clearly knows him, and and that's when we find out it's been five, maybe five and a half years Whoops. since he's been around, and she recognizes very quickly that he's he's showing a vulnerability yep. that he that's kind of new. Like she she detects it just from across the bar. Yeah. And I believe that's before he meets Winston that you're talking about, that's true, that's in which they have uh, one of the more important conversations in the film. Absolutely. It's interesting. You brought up the the Unforgiven, and we get another kind of, I don't know if this is a callback to Unforgiven, but he tries to say he's retired yeah. to her, to the bartender. And she's like, not if you're in here, honey. Yeah. 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 Um, and so, so, like I said, there's all these kind of callbacks to these great action films. And, and it's funny because I didn't, I didn't even think about it until you brought it up in our conversation right now but so it's okay that that they do this kind of thing i think deal oh, totally a little trivia note i was looking at the the concierge character the guy who's at the counter is always talking to john good to have you back john you know the yeah, the, yeah. the actor there his character's name is charon oh the 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 boatman of the dead yeah yeah yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Um, which i think is kind of a neat thing and i don't know if that is intentional uh you know i'm sure i'm sure that that is intentional oh, i'm sure it is yeah but then that brings me back 
back. Who to would pick a name like that? Yeah, yeah. And that brings me back to Helen. Are they are they kind of calling on Helen, the 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 face that launched a thousand ships? I mean, she's the yeah. she's the reason that uh, yeah. Helen is the important character in uh, the Iliad. Uh, for those of you, yeah. And uh, she's the the fulcrum upon which the War of Troy is levered, <laughs> and, and is the reason that Troy falls. Yeah. Just like in the end, she brings to the you know she brings to an end another city or organization, as we'll see. Exactly. Yeah. So, so I suspect that these are these guys are having a lot of fun while they're writing this movie. Yeah. Uh, but so Keanu is trying to he's been out of the game for five years, and going to the Continental is going to allow him to kind of jack back into this world. He doesn't have any of the intelligence. He doesn't know anything that's going on. But at the Continental, he can get answers, especially from his old friend Winston, who uh, mm-hmm. who says to him when they sit down and talk at the bar, no, no, no business happens here. We don't do yeah. business here. And uh, why don't you go have a drink? And uh, and and uh, Wick says, this is personal. And he walks off. And uh, and that makes Winston go, oh, well, I, Winston even bends the rules a little bit because he sends, John wants to know where Yosef is. That's why he wants to ask Winston. And Winston's not going to tell him. And then it's personal. And then when the bartender gives him his bourbon, she also gives him on the on the napkin with his drink where where Yosef is. Well, uh, Winston also gives him a warning. You know that you know I, I can't quote it exactly, but where you know if you so much as dip your finger back in these waters, you're you're back. Yeah. You know you'll be in. He kind of warns him about what he's actually doing, and he absolutely blows him off. Yeah. Wick doesn't even bother to argue with him. Yeah. He just kind of ignores the fact that he says that or he's somewhat dismissive of it and because he's very hyper-focused on what he's actually after. So there's kind of this this psychological blindness that, you know, he's almost, he's got this momentum. You know, he's going in this direction and every warning sign that, look, you know, if you keep going this way and and he just ignores it, you know, uh, and again, to go back to Unforgiven, one of the things that anybody that's seen Unforgiven is that Clint Eastwood's character almost rehearses, almost like a mantra. I ain't like that no more. You know, like he's he's trying to convince himself throughout the film that that he's changed. Well, John Wick doesn't do that. He does say, as you said, well, I'm retired. But whenever somebody tries to tell him otherwise, he doesn't argue with them. He just kind of he just kind of moves on. Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, he's kind of like this, you know, this massive metallic luxury liner that just will not stop and will just keep going. And, you know, it'll crush through any pier or ship that's in its way, which is kind of an interesting switch. Yeah, yeah. It does seem that Winston is moved by the it, this is personal thing. Yeah, yeah. You know, well, because he likes him. Yeah, but and I think it's because he does like him. He's the only character that warns him away from it. Yes. Aurelio doesn't. Yes. Aurelio just thinks it's a foregone conclusion that, right. that everything's hit the fan. Vigo, Vigo does try and talk him out of it, but that's a conversation that, he, yeah. that, that he can't really, that, that Wick can't really have with him because, you know. Well, Vigo also has a vested interest. Like He's not a disinterested party. Exactly. So he gets the, he gets the, Yosef is at the nightclub, right? Yeah. And then he goes to the nightclub and has another another great sequence of, of, of violence. But we also see in this uh, that John Wick is not all mean because he follows Yosef to the nightclub and there's a henchman at the door and as Yosef walks in, Keanu Reeves, uh, John Wick puts the gun to the to this guy's head and he's like, hey, how you doing? And the guy's like, uh, good evening, Mr. Wick. And he's like, you look like you've lost some weight. Uh, the guy's like uh, 70 kilos, some, some, some amount of kilos. It's 70 pounds in the subtitles. But, and John Wick, well, that's really good. Why don't you take the night off? <laughs> 
Thank you, Mr. Wick. And the guy like takes his earpiece out. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> exactly. And uh, then John Wick goes in and lays waste to the nightclub. Another another tight, tightly choreographed scene. But this comes back to that noir lighting that we we're starting to get a lot more of. And the production design for the club is amazing. It's got a club you kind of want to go to if you like clubs. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's a bathhouse in it, which is very Russian yeah. kind of thing. Yosef is being the, being the unlikable asshole in the club. Uh, even his bodyguard is like, look, I'm not here to babysit you. You know, you should be, you should not be, the bodyguard seems to be saying you need to not act like this. We're, you're in a lot of danger. And right. I think there's a un- understanding that by coming to a place like this, Yosef has put everybody in danger, right. which will be true. Now, something that happens in this, in this, in this scene, in addition to the beautiful uh, kind of lighting and, and art direction, there's like John Wick is going through the scene and killing people. But there's a, there's a moment that kind of reveals, as I was watching it today, I was very unnerved by John Wick. He uh, attacks some guy and pins him to a wall and jams a knife under the guy's neck and into his, into his throat and, you know, and is and killing him. And the whole time, John Wick is like looking into the guy's eyes and yeah. he follows him all the way down. And I found that to be horrifying. Yeah. This, this particular action sequence, almost from start to finish, but especially when he finds Yosef and begins pursuing him. I actually think for a brief moment, the film turn almost turns into an action horror. Yeah. Because because this scene, which if you choose, if the viewer chooses to, they can see it through Yosef's eyes because this guy's after him and, and he's he's laid waste to everybody that's protecting him. And there's the scene where Yosef's in the uh, on the dance floor of the of the club and he's only in a towel and they have the strobe light going on and John Wick is coming after him. He's not running after him. He's kind of walking after him. It's very much something that you would see from a whore, from a slasher. Well, and the, also, boogie, the boogeyman. You see, I mean, the boogeyman is kind of that. Yeah. Bubba Yug. Um, yeah. But also in that scene when he's pursuing him this is a beautiful noir moment where it's it's not quite black and white because there's the blue tinge and it's kind of bright right, right. behind him there's this like kind of circular light going on like a vertigo symbol right and yes. John Wick is coming out of this behind him is this kind of swirling black and white image um, it's almost vertigo inducing but he's coming out of this like kind of blackness this black hole towards a Yosef but before that so we just talked about uh, the moment where John just kind of like locked eyes with somebody who he murdered and watched die. I mean, they're watching each other and John's watching that guy die. He almost has, there's a moment where John could have killed a Yosef right there in the bathhouse. He's on top of a guy who is, uh, he's on, uh, Yosef is like, his, his, his eyes are all big. He sees John and John's on top of his henchman and he, he's, he's got the gun. He could shoot Yosef there, but then he, he very closely, very um, intentionally keeps his eyes on Yosef and puts the gun on the henchman's head and shoots him because he wants to see Yosef's fear in that moment. This is what I'm going to do to you. That's he what that's knows, He knows that Yosef is not a threat at all. Yep. And he's communicating to him that, you know, I'm going to let you run because I you're going to suffer, you know, and and uh, because he, he knows that catching Yosef is not going to be a problem. And he wants him to know that all these people who he thinks are going to be able to protect him are not going to be able to do so. Yep. Because because I, I noticed that all three times that I watched it, he could have he could have shot him in the head and ended it right there. Yep. But he was not ready to do that yet. No. Um, and this this doesn't cast John Wick in a great light. I didn't notice this the first time I saw it. This is kind of monstrous. It's it's actually quite monstrous. I, I agree. Yeah. We'll, we'll, we'll return to that a little later. So then there's more fighting. One of the henchmen is actually quite capable and gives John quite a, a run for his money. Uh, well, he shoots He shoots him. Yeah. I mean, he, he's wearing body armor, but uh, yeah. And they have quite a hand-to-hand combat and the guy throws him. This guy throws him over a banister 
uh, like 20 feet. Yeah, yeah. This was this stunt was Keanu Reeves' idea. He's like, well, they'll throw the guy, they'll throw John Wick over. I'll do it. I'll do the stunt. They'll throw me over, and he lands, and it's it's it doesn't look fun when he hits the. No, game. no, yeah, you're quite um, right. And he kind of pulls out his backup piece and fires a couple rounds at the guy, and he escapes. He looks a little frustrated with himself as he's leaving. Like maybe I played that wrong. Uh, and I like that. Yeah. Uh, because I mean, even though the film absolutely portrays him as the superhuman killing machine, he can struggle. Yeah. You know, he he's not perfect. So yeah. yeah, that's that's all real well done as well. Then it's back to the Continental for a little recuperation. He comes in and he talks to Sharon and he's like, uh, the doctor in. <laughs> And he's like, it's 24 hours a day, sir. And he's like, uh, also, do you have a dry cleaner? I'm sorry, sir. There's no... There's no, no one that good. <laughs> exactly. He's like, oh, I didn't think so. And so the doctor fixes him up. And uh, this is kind of a funny scene where Keanu Reeves is like, uh, well, what am I looking at? And he's like, well, if you want to recover, stop moving for a couple of, for a few days. But if you need to move, here, take two of these before you have to do something. Uh, the stitches will come apart. You'll bleed, but you'll be functional. I don't know yeah. what pills... I was asking my wife tonight. She's a doctor. I was like, what did she give? What did he give her? What did he... I'm sorry. What did he give... John Wick and she was like I don't know I could I want whatever that is <laughs> Right. Would it be some kind of uh, like like super coagulant that would make him clot quicker? I don't know. I don't know. Um, and because it's not for the pain, because John's drinking bourbon for the pain. Yeah, he says I'm using this. Yeah. And uh, and so he goes back to his bedroom and he's kind of relaxing. And this is where we wonder about Marcus. Marcus has been contracted by Vigo to kill to kill uh, John Wick. And Vigo is a little worried about this. He's like, well, well, if I give you two million dollars, will you kill John Wick? I know this is personal because you know what i think we're supposed to get is that marcus is john wick's teacher you know is that what you get out of that yeah, uh, yeah. so to take a contract out on his friend it might feel like a betrayal but 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 marcus accepts the contract oh he, i got the sense that he accepted it because he realized that if he didn't accept it somebody else would yeah. who would really get the job done absolutely and so he's got john wick he's on another building so he can conduct business into the continental i guess because he's about yeah looks like he's going to shoot john wick from another building but you, you can't kill people in the Continental um, it's against the criminal rules right but he's he's got John Wick in his scope and then but behind him sneaks into John's room Miss Perkins yes and this is kind of a cute little scene Willem Dafoe's Marcus puts around right beside John's head and puffs up the pillow right and it wakes John Wake, up waking him up right yeah. and then he has a really intense fight with Miss Perkins and this is there's a lot of great Brazilian jiu-jitsu and judo in this scene as well I've done I'm a I'm a black belt in Brazil in jiu-jitsu and a brown belt in judo. I've done most of the moves. I've done all of the moves that they do in this uh, film, in this in this scene. There's a great moment where she takes her jacket and she puts the lapel. Before she's getting ready to have her fight with John, she's lost her gun. And uh, she takes the lapel of her leather jacket and puts it in her teeth. And then she goes and has a fight with him. And she does this. And I mean, I knew exactly what she was going to do when she did it. Because I've, I've taken my lapel from my, from my kimono and my gi and put it in my mouth. So when I get on people's back, I can take it out and put it around their neck and choke them. And, yeah. and that's exactly what she does to John. And it's it's a brilliant it's a brilliant move. The fight is brilliant. I just I just love this action scene. And also there's a little more comedy in this than some than 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 you might think. But during the whole fight, the the the, the scene keeps cutting to Charon trying to call 
John's room. Yeah. And uh, you know there's noise complaints, right? What yeah. did you think of this fight with Miss Perkins? Uh, I Well, I thought it was great because actually I, I think Keanu Reeves and Adrienne Palicki, they both do very, very well in the scene. I do, I do think that there might have been numerous times where there were stunt doubles for one or both of them. Yeah. Her, I, I, I would guess. But it's so well edited yeah. that you really you really can't tell. I, I, I wanted to think that it was her the whole time. I'm, I'm actually, I, I'm a I'm a big admirer of hers. I think she's great in this movie. She's, and, good, uh, she's good in, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, oh, yeah. Well, I mean, that's when I discovered her. I, I like her in almost anything. And and she's she's absolutely fantastic in this. And she's particularly good in this scene yeah. because she really, I mean, we totally believe that she's she, she's driven, she's capable. They have, they have quite a fight scene together. It, it's really, really well done. Any stunt doubles in the scene are edited around in such a way that you really can't tell. So, I because I was looking. I was looking. Yeah. I, I was kind of curious. And it, the, it looks really, really good. The only scene that I think that she had a stunt double for, and I could be wrong about this, is when John Wick does like a, basically a fireman's carry and throws her through a, the glass part of his headboard on his bed. And because yeah. they keep her face shielded and it could have been, been her and she was just keeping her face shielded because of all the glass that she just went through. In this scene, I want to highlight, so I highlighted the collar choke that she does with her lapel. She does an amazing sport legal version of uh, a throw called Katagaruma. In uh, judo, you're not allowed to grab the leg anymore, so you can't put your hand between somebody's leg to do a fireman's carry. You can't grab the legs anymore in sport judo. And she wraps her arm, wraps John's arm around her neck and drops and does the fireman's carry that way. It's, it looks great, and it is her doing that that throw. Yeah. If you're a, if you're a judo fan or an MMA fan, you're gonna you will obviously love this movie. Probably you've already seen it, but if you haven't, right? John, at the end of this fight, he picks up the phone and uh, he talks to Charon. Uh, is it Charon? That is that how you say the name? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and the, the guy's really polite. He's like, I'm sorry to bother you, John, but there have been a number of complaints about the noise. And, and John is like, uh, uh, sorry, I had to deal with an uninvited guest. And Charon is like, he's ready to escort somebody down the river. He's like, do we need to make a dinner reservation? Do we need to bring the cleaners in? It's like, I don't think so. I'll let you know. At that moment, uh, Miss Perkins, who is, like you said, driven, she's violating the rules. Even Vigo said it was brazen to, to operate in the Continental. But he says if he's if she's going to do it, double her, her rate. But she's going to make four million for killing John in the Continental. We see her mask of competence break a little bit when he grabs her. When John grabs yeah. her, she's trying to crawl away. She's like, no, 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 because she doesn't want to get killed, right? That's kind of right. a, that's kind of a, I didn't expect to feel quite as uh, sad in that moment or, or, or fearful for her because she's an awful person, right? Right. But, but when her mask breaks, when she thinks I'm about to die, I, I, I felt, well, that's kind of, a, that's too bad for her, right? I felt a little <laughs> sad for her. And uh, John's getting ready. To, he wants some information from her. She gives up. She gives it up because she's, she is a animal of self-preservation. And then John kind of pawns her off on another hitman in the Continental to watch her and then let her go. Yeah, uh, a, a guy that uh, in a previous uh, generation would have been played by Richard Roundtree. That's right, that's right. Um, I looked him up. I was I was wondering if this was some other action icon, you know what I mean? But it doesn't seem to have been. But she tells John where she thinks Yosef is, doesn't she? She tells him about the church. I don't think she knows that Yosef's there, but she, yeah. but she definitely knows that that's a key uh, yeah. point of operations. And and so it's a front. It's where uh, Vigo keeps all of his money and his information. Go you ahead. know, I, I, I actually, I couldn't find um, online uh, what church they use. It, it looks like a real, oh, yeah, yeah. real church, yeah. But, it's a, but it was a magnificent location. Yeah. 
we get some uh, brief violence, uh, 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 gunfire from John Wick. And and just the way that that's done, when he comes in and the priest comes up to talk to him and he just starts shooting people, he turns around and shoots somebody that's up in the in the choir loft. Yeah. And, um, and, and and that's all shot just absolutely beautifully. Well, John, John Wick motions through this church with his M4 are, are, are so efficient. I mean, that's part of the kind of gut punch of this scene because the priest is like, how may I help you, son? And then John like raises up that M4, shoots the priest in the leg. And this did get a big laugh out of me. It gets a big laugh out of me every time. The priest gets shot and he's like, you motherfucker. <laughs> and the priest goes from nice, nice priest voice to kill motherfucker. And I just, I just love that moment. And uh, and then John wipes out the henchmen that are there pretty quick. Yeah. And then we discover that, yeah, this is where all the money is kept. Yeah. Uh, and then, and then there's the moment where he, he asks the priest where he tells the priest to, to open the, the gate, you know, so that he can, he can deal with all the money in there. And the priest says that, uh, you know, I, I can't do that. He'll kill me. And then, and then Wick immediately just, just casually eliminates the, the henchman that he has, you know, at his foot and says, uh-huh. Yeah. And the, and the priest is like, fuck. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and you kind of recognize that he realizes uh, something that a lot of people have realized in the movie. You know, I have about a 1% chance of living if I give this guy what he wants. But my chances of living if I don't are zero. Absolutely. So I'm going so to open this, I'm going to open this cage. Yep. I like the uh-huh because we've seen this scene before too. And the line we would generally get is, well, what do you think I'm going to do to you? Because we've seen that before. And and I like that they, even though we're going we're gonna to get this scene that we've seen in a hundred movies they're gonna keep it a little fresh you know what i mean yeah. and and then the guy opens it up there are women counting money in the in the in this area of the church and uh john says for them to leave he also tells them in russian to have a nice day yeah yeah he's dumping all this money and this these cds and tapes and what what all we don't know we find out later on what what was in this place and the priest is like uh i'm, I'm guessing he's not a real priest <laughs> i'm guessing that too or he might be he's just a very crooked one yeah, yeah. what are you gonna do with that and john tosses a little uh uh, like some kind of incendiary device onto them is I'm going to do this. And then he leaves. He destroys probably Everything. hundreds of thousands of dollars there and leaves. And that, of course, brings Vigo and his entourage to the church. And the priest was right, by the way. <laughs> Vigo was like... <laughs> Take me to this idiot. Yeah. And and we see the priest die from from quite a distance. Yeah. Uh, I believe uh, we see it uh, from the vantage point of John. He's up on the on a building. We see. Yeah. We see we see the priest go down pretty quickly. It does raise a question. Why did John do that? I think he wanted to. Joseph wasn't there, but he did know that he could draw Vigo and his crew out. And he doesn't. He does. I think he brought him there because he wanted to get Vigo to tell him where Joseph was. That's why right. I think he did it. So okay, but I guess my point is, is that. Wick created a situation in which um, he would have to destroy the entire apparatus of 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 this of this mob, basically. Yeah. And up until that moment, that would not be something that he would have to do. Yeah, I think it was just a I, th I think it was just a ploy to get to Yosef. It almost backfires on him. Yeah, it, um, it almost does. Yeah, but he 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 goes in with his M4 and his 45 and and starts laying waste to the, these guys. That that henchman who's actually pretty capable gets the drop on him and knocks him out. And then yeah. they go back into the church. This is where we get John Wick and a really nice scene of dialogue between uh, John Wick and Vigo. Also very well lit with the, uh, there's like a, there's some kind of spotlight on the wall that gives a, you know, kind of this kind of almost orange glow to this otherwise dark room. It, yeah. It's really well lit. I like, I like the scene, yeah. I, I agree, I agree. 
um, I, I, I wish I could remember some of the lines, um, but this is where we, we, we get uh, the lament of Vigo. Well, yeah, go ahead. But because, because he says, you know, you had the beautiful, you had your beautiful wife and I have my son and you yes. have got the better deal, I must tell you. Right. Yeah. He doesn't like his, he's not proud of his son, right. um, but he is, he is a parent and he's, he's bound yeah. by those kinds of, of things. He's also, you can also tell in this scene that he doesn't really want to kill John Wick. Yeah, I, I agree with that as well. And, and then, and then the other, the other big moment in the scene is when John basically gives him his moment to survive. Yeah, you know, um, you know, you can give me your son, or you can die screaming with him, or something like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is an odd thing to offer at this point. Yeah, when, he, when he's basically destroyed everything that he had. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I mean, uh, he, he's given him every reason not to cooperate with. Him. Yeah, it, it might be that that blind spot that we see in Wick that you talked about earlier because uh, he clearly thinks he's going to at this point John Wick is stuck to a chair he's he's bound with a zip tie I think and um, he still has every confidence that he's going to get out of this situation and kill him mm-hmm. he, even this is the moment too where he's like you know everybody's been asking me if I'm back and I, I think I am is it, yeah. he finally admits to himself that he is he is back and that's when he threatens uh, Yosef I'm sorry Vigo Vigo realizes that there's no reasoning with him I think that he was hoping that you know he could reason with him because he could use the uh baba yaga to rebuild what's lost right i mean i think i think yeah. if, if he could i think he would he would like to figure this out because there's a moment where wick tries to say something else to him and 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 vigo actually walks back to hear what it is john says and that's when i think john gives him the threat and then he's like well okay, okay guys kill him they put the bag over his head that's always a horrifying scene where they put like a baggie over somebody's head Ugh, nightmares you're like well how's he going to get out of this what neat thing is going to happen what what kind of special skill is he going to use and what he ends up getting is uh is his friend marcus from another building yeah and marcus Which doesn't do did. much he just cu- he, he shoots a couple people and then lets john handle the rest of it on his own yeah he just kind of intervenes just just enough to let him help him get his feet basically yeah. and then john wick escapes another another cool fight uh more jujitsu more judo all amazing and uh then he goes and catches vigo he gets him out of the car and yeah. it, it, it's actually a great little moment because he gets him out of the truck and he and he basically lays it out that yeah tell me where your son is you know, and and Vigo knows that he's cornered. He's like, fuck, fuck. <laughs> yeah. Because, you know, to survive, he would surrender his son, but he would rather not do it. Yeah. And he realizes that he's finally in that corner. So, but, but he asks for a deal. Will you let me walk away? And and then he tells him where his son is, basically meaning, and, and, and you know, uh, what do you tell him, Mike? You know, what, you know, but he's he's not alone. Like, he, he's under guard. They know, they know you're coming. Yeah, yeah, they know you're coming. And, and but, but, but he also, like, he knows in that moment that his son is dead. Oh, yeah. There's there's no stopping it. There's no way any of those guys, no matter how many guys he has in the safe house, there's no way any of them can stop him. He knows that his son is dead. Yeah. He knows that that is a loss that he has to kind of accept. You know, I, as we find out, he's not done in his war with John Wick yet, but he surrenders his son. Yeah, and uh, I mean, there's it's kind of a neat moment, too, when John Wick uh, stops the car, kills the driver, and jumps up, and he's got that, that shotgun on, on uh, Vigo before Vigo gives up his son and he goes like be cool be cool be cool yeah 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 
I don't say that we feel bad for Yosef, but we do see... People that, dumber than him? <laughs> yes, there's a lot of people dumber than him. Um, and uh, I think what, what makes the scene kind of harrowing is his reaction to it. Because he's the actor is very good. He, he, when he, he's yelling at his buddy who's playing a, a shooter video, video game, yeah. his buddy's like uh, playing, even though it's annoying the hell out of Yosef. And then in a pretty graphic moment, you just see the bullet zip through this henchman's head and a Yosef is like, oh my God. He just saw his What's interesting is in this scene, Yosef is suddenly surrounded by men who are acting like he used to oh, yeah, yeah. earlier in the film. Now he's actually afraid. Yeah. And the people guarding him are the ones who are uh, a bit more confident than they should. Well, they, they feel like they've got the ground and they just they, they just don't know who they're dealing with, you know. Yeah. And, and, and John and John moves to them really easily, actually. Yes. Uh, yes. This is a this is that action horror moment because these guys stand no chance. Yosef is running from John and John is just walking. He's blown up all the trucks. There's no way Yosef can do anything in the, to get away. And he turns around and John pops him once in the gut, I think. And Yosef kind of falls down and John just walks up to him and Yosef is about to say, it's just a fucking dog. But he doesn't get that sentence out because he gets killed. And John, and that's it. John kills him and that's that's done. And he walks away and it's it's a weird scene. Was that what he wanted? Was that, I mean, was that enough? I mean, it must have been. He seemed content. He was done and he left. He meets Marcus afterwards, and Marcus tries to say, well, go back to your life, remember? Right, right. Sadly for both of them, Miss Perkins is following them around, and she sees Marcus and John together and sees that that touching little moment. Yeah, and then uh, she she basically, I think we get, we're given the impression that she turns, no, we're not given the impression, she's actually present yep. when they uh, when they ambush um, Marcus, basically um, hold him to account for betraying them. Yeah. In fact, he says, you had every chance you know, you had multiple chances to kill him and you didn't do it. Yeah. And uh, and then she shoots him, she, right? She shoots him, but yeah, but he's, Vigo is like, uh, he's calling John and he tells John what he's going to do. He's like, you know, I thank you for killing my son quickly, but I'm not going to do that to Marcus. I'm going to kill him my way. And uh, Marcus is like, fuck all that noise. And we see the old hitman kind of shine for a moment because he gets free. He kills a couple of Marcus's hitmen and Miss Perkins just gets the drop on him. He's not, he's not what he used to be, obviously, right? And she kills him so he escapes his he says i'm gonna go out my way is what i think i think i think Marcus yeah, says, yeah 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 he does my way I think he even says to Vigo when Vigo walks up to him, he's like, see? And then Vigo shoots him a bunch of times. And then Vigo says to him, well played, old friend. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and and I don't know if this is right, but I got the sense that even Vigo's kind of happy he didn't have to do that to Marcus. Yeah. Uh, you know, you almost, at this point, you get the sense that both Vigo and John are both men that are on a collision course. And they're not really thinking it through. Yeah. Because, uh I mean, we can go into this more in a moment. I think Vigo knows he's going to die. Oh, yeah. I think he knows, even at this point, that he's not going to kill John. He's not He's not going to win this. No. And uh, it's almost like you could almost make the case that Vigo almost becomes what John is. Yeah. Okay, I was, you know, my son was disappointing. He's dead. I had all this money. And I had this, I had this crime syndicate, this empire. It's gone. It was burned. It, it was burned to a cinder. Everything was taken from me as well. Yeah, yeah. And now, and now, I'm going to go after John Wick the same way he went, came after my son. 
time. I'm probably going to die. I might die, but he took everything from me. Absolutely. Because it, it, it really does seem to me that at this point, he had made a deal with John. He surrendered his son. He could have walked away. Yeah. And John would have left him alone. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. There's an interesting scene. Uh, I, I want to backtrack a little bit. While John is killing everybody around Yosef and about to kill Yosef, there's a neat scene of Vigo trying to make peace with this whole incident because there's a moment where he's just made that deal and he's sitting in his office and he rolls a joint yeah. and he smokes the joint while all this is going on. He's just waiting for the call. He's just waiting for the call at this moment and trying to be, I guess, a man about yeah. what's happening. I, I think it's a, I think it's a neat scene. It was also Michael Nyquist's idea because I think he would go back and and, okay. and do this. And the directors were like, well, that sounds amazing. Let's do that. <laughs> yeah. And so I think what that communicates is, is that he's really struggling with, you know, the position that he's now in. He's, he's kind of lost everything. Not only is his son going to die, but he's the one that gave him up. Oh, yeah. No, I I, I read that from that scene, too. You yeah. Know, because uh, and I, if I remember correctly, it cuts back and forth, right? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 He just, you know, and then, and then he gets the call and he's like, well, make the arrangements. Yeah. You know, now we're closing in on the end. Miss Perkins gets her comeuppance. She does. She's, uh, she's sadly, uh, um, but she she definitely gets what she deserves. Yeah. Um, although I liked her character, but she is she is eliminated by not uh, she's eliminated eliminated by the um, by Winston. Uh, yeah, the, yeah, by the staff. Basically, I guess you get the impression the staff. Of yeah, the, uh, and, he, and he says, "By thine own hand, thy membership to the Continental has been revoked." Says Winston, and he walks off. And these guys surround Miss Perkins, and they all shoot her. And down she goes. And uh, yeah, she's not going to be in the sequel. And <laughs> as Winston's walking away, he gives a gold coin to the cleaner. Who's going to clean it up? Yep. And uh, and then and then Winston calls uh, John Wick and says, "We live by a code, and we do things a certain way. So there's so I am." not telling you that there's a certain heli- helicopter landing on a helipad in a certain part of the city right now. Yeah. And John Wick, true to his impoliteness, just kind of hangs up and just takes that information on board and uh, drives off to uh, catch Vigo. Because now they have to, because he's got to, he's got to avenge Marcus. That's, that's, that's the next thing he's got to do because right. he, he goes to the scene where Marcus is and, and finds Marcus there dead. And uh, that's when he gets the call from Winston and then goes off to kill Vigo. This is a great scene, by the way. Uh, Vigo and his crew are driving to uh, the helicopter and Vigo's drinking some scotch or whiskey. Up to this point, it's mostly been vodka, I think, for him. But uh, then then the crew are like, oh my God, who's that behind us? Vigo has the best reactions to everything that happens after this. John uh, hits one of their cars and he just starts laughing, right? Yeah, um, I so, and that's where I, yeah, I Michael Nyquist in this scene is amazing because um, I think you could read it a couple ways. You could read it that he's, he's drunk and knows he's going to die and he's just kind of enjoying it. Or you could kind of see him as kind of the, the you know, the old fighter. You yep. know, he's been he's been doing this for a long time. He's very experienced, unlike his right-hand man, yes. who, who uh, speak English, you know. And, and you kind of get the sense that he's almost watching John Wick the way we are. Yep. He's enjoying what John Wick is. He's watching a, an artist work. And at this point, he knows he's going to die. He knows this is the end. This is what he's devoted his whole life to. 
to. And in these final moments, he's just going to to kind of watch it all, you know, kind of unfold. Not 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 passively necessarily. He definitely doesn't have any respect for his henchman. He's kind, he kind of mocks him, you know, like hands the gun to him and then takes it back. And um, um, uh, there's something very admirable uh, admirable about it. A man who's really in a very dangerous situation and 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 just really just lets go and has a sense of humor about the whole thing. But there's a couple of things too that are happening here. He does laugh a bit, but the first laugh he he laughs and then you see him kind of take a deep breath, like, okay, mm. I knew this was gonna happen. Yeah. And he it, there's a moment where he's definitely trying to find his courage and he does find it. He does find it. Yeah. And then he then his laughter becomes a little more genuine after that. Yeah. And uh when he sees the this is a neat scene. Uh John is in his uh in the car that the Continental gave him for the incident, uh the unfortunate incident of the person mm-hmm. getting into his room. And John knocks one of these uh SUVs off of uh off of a off the dock onto a loading bay and it's about a 50 foot drop and in a lesser movie that truck would have gone over the edge and exploded yeah i noticed that yeah and instead what happens is the truck hits and it's final right yeah. and i was just like yeah. oh. it, that that actually made it worse for me right because was like oh shit that was brutal it wasn't mm. a, a fake fireball it was just thud and everyone in that truck is dead or maimed right and yeah. and uh, it's funny because <laughs> then then uh uh vigo's like ha <laughs> That was a good one. <laughs> and uh, yeah. when they get fishtailed, that Vigo and his crew get fishtailed into uh, 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 there's another harrowing wreck. All the car crashes in this scene are, are great because of the the pra- they're all practical effects. Many years ago, you and I saw a movie with Morgan Freeman, and there were a couple of car crashes in it that were clearly CGI, early early generation CGI. Oh, that would be along came a spider. Along came a bad screenplay. You and I both <laughs> were immediately jarred out of that scene because it was so terrible, right? Yes. This is classic stunt stunt car work. Absolutely, yes. And that goes a long way. And and it's not there's a lot of bumping and crashing, but it's not cars smashing through everything. It's it's a lot of near misses and and you know frantic driving. It's really well done. But because of those practical effects, because these are real cars hitting real real items, it's it's it, there's the realism that, mm-hmm. that really goes a long way for this film. And then John uses his car and his gun almost as well married as he, he does with anything else in the in the movie. Vigo says, "Kill him." He doesn't think they will. And then John uh, John uh, runs people over. He shoots people. The henchman, uh, Vigo's right-hand man, is like, "I need a gun! I need a gun!" And that's when that's when Vigo gives him that that little, "Yeah, yeah, uh, here, here's a gun, here's a gun." And then he just says, "Good luck." You know, he knows that guy's dead. That guy's that guy's the least capable of all of his people. And then that guy gets killed. And then we have uh, Vigo. Vigo might have been able to make it to the helicopter. I got the yeah. sense, right? I get the sense that he could have. I mean, that's what I that's what I take from it. I don't know if that's true, but he decides not to go to the helicopter. Mm-hmm. He is the 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 last fighter, the 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 the, the old fighter who's going to have who's going to give it a try. Um, oh, and I got the sense from the scene that um, he's not uncapable. Oh, like no. when he, you know, when he was a younger man, you know, he, okay, this is a guy that he got to the position that he's in by bloodying people in situations just like this. Oh yeah. So and now it's not that he's John Wick's equal, but um, you know, he, he's seen a lot. He knows what Wick can do, yeah. but he also knows what he's done his entire life. Yeah. And uh, he, he's he jumps into this with a, a lot of vigor. And he's he's a little 
little tricksy too because he's gonna fight, but he also knows he's got a knife, which he just he, de- he deploys later on, and uh, and he stabs Wick with it, and they have they have a nice fight. It's clear that Vigo's outmatched here, yeah. you know, but he's not a wimp. He's not untough. They have a decent tussle, and he, uh, he stabs Wick, and then Wick kind of jams the knife into himself so he can get at uh, at Vigo's arm and breaks his arm, and then pulls the knife out, and they have a little a, a last tussle, and uh, the knife ends up in a, a mortal angle in uh, Vigo's yeah. neck. And they both kind of sit down and they have a little, uh, have their last little moment together. Yeah. Uh, and he's, I'll be seeing you, John. I guess you will. Or something like that. <laughs> yeah. Which, and um, there's kind of there's kind of some moments, almost like programmatic moments that are thematic moments that we haven't mentioned. We mentioned the funeral scene, you know, at uh, the funeral of his wife. When Willem Dafoe comes up to him and John says, you know, you know, why did this happen to her? Oh, yeah. and, and Willem Dafoe says that, you know, well, you know, he makes a statement about just kind of the way life is that, you know, life is just a lot of days like this interspersed with everything else. Yeah. You know, that that's because of the way that they live their lives. That's the truth that they've come to see. And John's been running away from that. He's been looking for the normal or the mundane kind of kind of life. You kind of get the sense that John, he's been trying to escape from that. And then he's and then he's drawn back into it. And so um, I kind of, you know, he's like, you know, I'll be seeing you. And, and, and I kind of had the, you know, the thought of um, what does John mean in that moment? I mean, is he is he fully back in now? Is, is you know is that what that means that um, you know he's not going to go back? You know that he will always be a part of this world, yeah. and that there's you know there's no there's no turning back. I I mean there's a sequel. So I think Vigo and John are a little different than Marcus because what I got from Marcus is you know it's just days like this interspersed with all the others. Marcus yeah. doesn't think that there's anything. He doesn't believe there's karma for what's going on. It's not that. It's just yeah. life. It's just life, yeah. John. Now, John and Vigo think that there is karma. In their scene in the church, Vigo says, this life has a cost. Costs you, you know. Yes. And they believe, I think... And he, he says, I agree with you. Yeah. yeah. They believe that there's some there's some karma that their choices have caused things to happen to their family. John's wrong about that. His wife had the yeah. illness before they met, right? Right, right. His illness has been hanging over her head for a long time. Vigo had nothing to do with it. Yosef had nothing to do with it. Now, Vigo me- might be right about Yosef uh, <laughs> because because Vigo is responsible for Yosef's behavior in a lot of ways because right. he raised him. But I, what I got out of the scene at the end when he said, I'll be seeing you, I thought that was basically Vigo saying, I'll see you in hell. That's what, yeah. that's what I got out of that. Yeah. Which, which adding to what you just said, kind of suggests that um, that John and Vigo both have this, you know, this kind of almost, I don't say supernatural, but this, you know, this certain sense of um, tragedy, the karma that you're talking about, that, that that all of this is happening because of the choices they've made in the past, and there's more to come. Yeah. Whereas uh, Marcus does not does not feel that way. Um, you know, there's yeah, you know, you know, to put it uh, bluntly, there are shitty days. Yeah. And and you just take those, and then there's lots of days that aren't like that, and that's just that's just how it goes. Because Marcus's advice at their last meeting, he's like, go back to their life, go back to that life that you made. Go. Yeah. You don't have to do this. Marcus stays. Yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't want to leave. So I thought that was kind of. I thought that was a neat touch. Just kind of three different worldviews right there. At least two Marcuses and then Vigo and and Johns. So that's the movie. That's the revenge movie. Yeah. Um. Is John Wick a hero? Is he a good guy? Mm. You know. <sighs> 
he's kind of the anti-hero. Yep. You know, like, I mean, I've never seen Payback, but I remember the tagline was, you know, get ready to root for the bad guy. Yeah. I've not seen that, but I've seen Point Blank. And of course, you know, in Point Blank, that's exactly what you're doing. So I would say he's a traditional anti-hero. Okay. He, he's not really a good guy, but the film definitely puts us squarely on his side. Oh, now, yeah. now, now, one of the things that's interesting, though, um, and, and we are on his side all the way through. And, and I know there's the, you know, it's just a fucking dog, which we don't feel that way. I mean, we're, you know, I think that we, the viewer, we want revenge for the dog, too. The first time I saw it, I was a little bit more sad. I was satisfied. My desire for revenge was satisfied a little bit earlier than his. Yeah, yeah. In, in the subsequent viewings, I, I didn't have that feeling as much. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess, and even in our conversation, I would almost say that the, mo- the story of the movie is kind of a, the story of the kind of dance between these two characters, Vigo and, and John, because in our conversation, there are moments where Vigo could have could have bowed out as well. Yeah. And, pre- and preserved himself and chose not to do it. Yeah. So, I mean, I mean, it's, um, you know, I guess you can say that they are both very tragic characters. And um, uh, Marcus, who who actually has kind of a more realistic view of the uh, of the universe or of the world or of what how they live, he's kind of caught up in it. And, and he at least gets to choose how he goes. Yeah. Whereas Vigo doesn't really. I mean, I mean, he, he's bested. And, and John's now going to go on without, I guess we haven't mentioned, he does get a new dog. He does, he does. The film begins and ends with the same scene. John, John is in one of these SUVs that he's stolen and he wrecks in some old factory district, gets out, watches the film that he has of Helen. He watches this film a lot. I mean, obviously he really cared about Helen and she, she centered him and he passes out in the beginning of the film and then we get the, the piece and then at the end where we return to that scene, he watches the, the film, passes out and Helen says, what are you doing, John? He gets up, goes into a veterinary clinic to patch himself up with uh, the supplies there. Nice little painful scene where he staples himself back together. That made me wince a lot. Uh, anybody who's had those staples put in, those scenes are always great for re- revisiting that pain. And uh, a little dog in the in the place catches his eye and he takes the dog. Uh, not, a be- not a beagle this time. Not a beagle. Probably also supernaturally well trained. Uh, <laughs> my take on this is that John is our protagonist, but he is thoroughly a monster. Think, I mean, I, I like him and uh, and we all ride along with him and but he destroys a lot of people mercilessly over a dog. I mean I, I, I get that it's I feel like that if somebody did that to my dog I would I would think about beating them up at least. I wouldn't think about killing everybody that they know. <laughs> You know, actually, towards the end of the film, it actually um, brought to mind uh, the scene the ver- from the very first scene from The Godfather, yep. when when uh, uh, Vito Corleone says, "That is not justice. Your daughter is still alive." Like, you know, th- there's kind of this sense that that I mean, even in the mob world that there's kind of this, there's kind of this, an eye for an eye, you know, that you can't extract an eye if, if, if you only got a cut kind of thing. Yeah. And there's no doubt that in this movie, John goes way beyond that. Um, in his defense, he probably would have just killed Yosef, right? Yeah, but right. in his defense, they do, they do drop, uh, you know, they do call on all these people to try and kill him. So yeah. in his defense, they do that. But there's the, the moments where he is tormenting Yosef, you know, where he's, he does that thing where he looks at Yosef and shoots his 
his henchmen, and uh, I don't mind that. I, I I just think you know. Well, they tormented him. True. They didn't. They didn't have to kill his dog. No. They could have said, "Hey, man, we just want your car." Yeah, it's true. It's true. I actually think you're right. I think if they had just beat him up because they needed to have him incapacitated to steal his car, I think that that would have ended it if yeah. they hadn't killed his dog. But because of what we've said earlier, he has freighted that dog with a lot of significance. Right. Because I mean, he never gets the Mustang back. No. Nope. And they could have made because we got the impression that uh, Yosef was going to keep it. So, you know, that could have been a plot point where, oh, there's my car, yeah. you know? I mean, but this is not Corvette summer. This is not about the rescue of a car. Yeah. This is this is about uh, revenge for, for the death of a dog that he's only known for a day. But yeah. it, that's not the point. The point is, is that the dog was a gift from the person, the one person that he needed who is now gone. It was so, going to be his way to confront grief, but not be alone. Right, right. And, and uh, you know, I think that... Um, we, the viewer, were definitely with him for a portion of the way. Yeah. I mean, we stay with him the whole way, but I think our motivation for staying with him changes. Yeah. That's, well, that's what I would say. Well, absolutely. And, and, and But going back to your your hypothesis about if they hadn't killed the dog, they take the car to Aurelio's. Aurelio says, that's John Wick's car. He's still alive. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I bet Vigo has the car brought back to him. Apologies. You know, and I bet John would have let that go. I think he would have let that go. But they, they didn't need to kill the dog. Yeah. It's a kind of a it's a pretty stunning film for a very basic a, a very basic film i was reading the plot uh, with my wife and she was like that's not much of a story <laughs> Yeah. There's actually there's actually only one other thing that I want to discuss. Okay. We've praised a lot of elements of the film. There's actually one one thing that is not perfect about this movie. Okay. And that is the fight scenes aside, Keanu Reeves. Okay. I actually okay. I, I like Keanu Reeves. And, and the way Keanu Reeves' career goes is that he'll make he'll make a series of films where I think he's perfect. And then he'll make a series of films where I think that he's he's kind of wooden or he doesn't quite raise to the level of what I want in particular scene. And, and I guess I'm fancying myself kind of a, an amateur director here, but there are actually a lot of, uh, of the, there's a lot of scenes in the film I wanted more from him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and so I found myself, uh, again, no one could have done the fight scenes better than him. Yeah. There's no doubt about that. But the fight scenes were things, were things of beauty. But there were actually some of the one-liners, some of the emotional scenes that there are other actors that could have done a lot better. You mentioned Mel Gibson and Payback having a, a, a you know, emphasizing more the emotional side of it, which he he specifically is more capable of doing that. But like even um, when he burns the money and then he leaves and, and and he tells the girls to have a nice day, yeah. he's not exactly Sean Connery when he yeah. delivers that line. <laughs> I guess uh, right. Yeah, no, you're um, right. Well, a scene, a scene I would I would draw I, to, that would highlight that is when he does talk about how the dog was going to be a, a way for him to face to to have to not be alone while he faced grief. I love Keanu in this movie, and I think for the most part he's perfect but in this scene he doesn't deliver those lines very well either that or they're not or they're not well written or they're not written well for him they don't they don't they don't they don't work that line that he's talking about i mean i got what he was saying and i was able to forgive it because the movie itself is fine and you can tag along with it but where he shines in this movie is in being that kind of aloof suspicious guy who doesn't mm-hmm. yeah very taciturn he doesn't speak much right he doesn't have a big heart to heart with aurelio you know aurelio's like well, what are you gonna do and uh, i'm gonna need a you know, and it's just those kind of soft deliveries where he's not very emotionally committal, where Keanu Reeves is perfect. But in this, no, I, 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 that I, scene, I, I think that scene that I'm talking about highlights exactly the kind of problems that you have with Keanu in this film. Yeah, yeah, no, and actually, 
that specific line you're talking about is probably the only line that uh, I actually wince. And I agree with you. I couldn't decide if it was a bad line because there's not there's not many bad lines. There's actually most of the lines are very, 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 very good. I couldn't decide if it was the line or or his delivery. I did not like his delivery. But but I actually I think what I found, I found myself recasting his role. Now, I have to start by I have to start off by saying that I don't think anybody could do the action scenes like he does. Yeah. A lot of those are for the, a lot of that's for the reasons that you have, have outlined that actually his contributions to a lot of these action scenes made them what they are. Yeah. And those scenes would have been very different if there had been anybody else in the role. However, I imagined Daniel Craig in this role. Yeah. And I think that he would have been able to handle the the kind of emotional intensity better. Now there's no way he could have done this role because he was in the middle of he was right in the heart of doing James Bond at the time. Look, the movie works. Oh, so, yeah. so 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 what he what he gives us in these especially in these early scenes with the dog and 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 um you know the, the the flashbacks with his wife these scenes work these scenes could have been better those scenes in particular could have been done better with somebody else okay it, it is it is what i would say um because i feel like that he's very good at providing intensity but even go back to the scene in uh when he goes to the bar where all of the hitmen are congregating the bartender says oh john welcome back I haven't seen you in a while and she's excited to see him and and she kind of says you know well you, you know you seem so vulnerable and i didn't feel like i got from reeves what i wanted yeah i i actually think because she was seeing vulnerability now we never saw him before yeah but think and, and you know i i brought up unforgiven and actually i think that's the movie i would go to obviously clint eastwood could not it would be told to play this role but <laughs> and, and he couldn't and at no point in his career in the fight scenes but but if you think back to the movie unforgiven which i'm sure many people most people who are listening um, or and if they haven't they should Clint Eastwood in that movie is able through the script through the lines that he says and the way that he delivers them even though we never see his wife like she's not a character in the movie she's dead when the film opens and yet we can feel through every scene how she's affected him now we can kind of see you know the old him trying to break through but we see him struggling to hang on to who he was I don't see that from Keanu Reeves I mean I mean um, I see the denial. Yeah. I see, you know, the, the, um, well, I'm retired, but, but that's really the extent of it. We don't, <sighs> Keanu Reeves not, is at a yeah. bit of a disadvantage in this particular, along this particular angle, when you bring up the unfor Unforgiven. Clint Eastwood's in this role, in that role, uh, William Money. Eastwood is also able to lean on all of his cinematic history. We've seen the guy. He, he <laughs> has very true, other films, yeah. right? And so, so when we see him in this film, we can see that he's different because he's, yeah. he's, he's carrying himself in a different way. And we know what he means when he says, I'm not like that no more. Yeah, yeah, um, that's true. And and Keanu Reeves doesn't have that. Keanu Reeves has had a varied career. He has, you know. And Clint Eastwood has a very specific. I mean, we can call on any number of Clint Eastwood movies uh, to to be Will Money of the past, right? Right. Um, when you try and do that with Keanu, you're like, is he more vulnerable than Bill and Ted? What? Um, <laughs> So, but but what I think Keanu's trying to do is he's trying to convey this guy who's mourning and mourning again because he's lost his connection to his wife. But I think you're right, actually, uh, that he's sort of weak in these emotional scenes. He's very good at being the tough guy. He's very good at being the uh, laconic hitman. But when sometimes when push comes to shove, when he has to to emote, he doesn't do it as well. Something that I think somebody like Daniel Craig or Robert De Niro or somebody else would have done with, I was going to not be alone, mm. you know? 
they would have said, let's rework this line. Yeah. They would have, they would have went at the line a bunch of different ways because these, you know, to do something different with it, to make it work for them, to make the line work generally, because it doesn't work no matter who, no matter who delivers that line, it doesn't work. I don't think. I, I, I agree with that. And I agree with your uh, assessment that uh, a different actor probably would have said, well, let's, you know, let's work with this. But I think that Keanu uh, really found soulmates, cinematic soulmates in the director and, uh, um, well, actually both directors, I guess uh, John Leitch is a, yeah, he's, a producer. He's, he's officially a producer, but I mean, he, he was, he was on set all the time in this coming. And I think that, you know, they had the three of them had a very coherent vision for what they wanted to do. And they absolutely nail everything that they were trying to do. And they do it. Uh, they do that and more. I mean, I mean, if, if we only praise this film and I thought I'm, I'm almost giving a verdict, I'm not quite yet, but um, if we, if we only praised this film for its action scenes, that would be enough. Yeah. But that's not all this film provides. It, it, it provide it provides a great deal more. I do think that uh, Keanu Reeves in the film for me is a mixed bag. Yeah. Well, I mean, he's certainly weak in those scenes. I actually think that it evens out in the next films, and I won't spoil. I, I haven't seen him, so yeah. I won't spoil them for you because there's less emotional stuff that he has to deal with, you know, uh, mm-hmm. in in the in the other films because we've we've got that's done. Moving on, right. next chapters. But yeah, I think I agree with you. Uh, okay. I didn't want to, but. <laughs> It's true. All right. Uh, and the verdict. Uh, John Wick is uh, a very special film. It's sort of an inflection point, I think, in action filmmaking. It brings up kind of a new brand of action choreography that is very hard and fast and kinetic and that, that makes the viewer wince over and over again. Like, uh, I think that if you may remember the scene from the movie Misery when uh, Kathy Bates hits Jamie Con- Jim- Jimmy Kahn's ankle and breaks it, you had a feeling in your stomach that that just happened to you that happens over and over again in John Wick and I think that it's a very special thing that the film does it is a bit of enormously efficient storytelling that tells us a story that we've seen a bazillion times and it just improves on this on this old tale of revenge it's it's one of our, our, our I think one of our one of the things that humans really gravitate towards because we all know what it, what it feels like to want revenge I think that it's a it's, it's sort of a perfect revenge tale despite the fact that we've seen it a hundred times before and we all know the old adage about revenge Revenge being a dish best served cold. And now to Jason's part of the verdict. My verdict is uh, I I would I would highly recommend this film. Uh, I don't have much to add to your description of the fight scenes, except to say, as I think I said earlier, these are the best fight scenes um, uh, that I've seen in any film. In any film, and that that is high praise. I I but, but I praise them for uh, their the choreography, the speed, the energy of them. They're just very very exciting to watch. Uh, the, the cast. Is, is very strong. I think that uh, this is a film that anyone could watch and enjoy. I do think for those viewers out there uh, who maybe aren't as into action films and who need kind of an emotional hook um, uh, to be sustained throughout might find themselves lost at a certain point just because of uh, you know, some of the things I stated about Keanu Reeves and his performance, but also just the fact that uh, a lot of what we feel a great deal of emotion about are all things that occurred off screen, you know, that they're shown in flashback. If the film suffers anywhere, I think it might suffer from uh, really allowing the the viewer to enter into that relationship as strongly as the viewer might want to. Um, but I mean, that does not detract from the film for me. But it might it might for somebody else. Uh, however, I give it a a, a very enthusiastic uh, recommendation to to especially lovers of action films. And that is. The- 
the verdict, everybody. Jason, what are we watching next week? Two, one. Hey, gang. Uh, when this recording finished, we hadn't decided on what movie we were going to cover next. The next movie we will be watching and discussing is He-Man from the late 1980s, starring Dolph Lundgren and Frank Langella. I don't remember who directed it. Uh, anyway, join us when we cover that curiosity. Uh, remember to share us on Facebook, on Twitter, on Instagram, wherever you share things on social media. Uh, like us. Uh, give us a five-star review at Apple if you can. That helps us out. Um, yeah. Uh, oh, also, email us at lordmovies39 at gmail.com if you have any questions, comments, or suggestions. We'll try and read some of them next time. Uh, that's all I got, guys. Bye-bye. Very good at what he does, but what he does isn't very nice. Some of you will get that. Because Wick is going to just sweep the ground of everything in front of him. And uh, Marcus is like, fuck all that noise. Is John Wick a hero? This is not Corvette Summer. This is not about the rescue of a car.